Hi, I'm Alex Jump, and this is Focus on Health, a podcast dedicated to discussing and bringing to light topics surrounding health, wellness, and workplace culture in the food and beverage industry. Through these conversations, I hope to explore the unique challenges that hospitality workers face, from workplace relationships and work-life balance to guest interactions and everything in between. Today, my guest is longtime industry advocate and dear friend, Brandon Thrash. He's managed and bartended across the country, including time in San Francisco, Chicago, Fort Lauderdale, and Philadelphia. He's an advocate for using the buying power of restaurants and bars to drive positive cultural change. Um, well, should we get started? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, how how are right. you? Good. <laughs> I'm pretty good. I don't know. I'm in like, I have to go to the doctor again today for my wrist and it's just like kind of really frustrating and uh, yeah, I'm like just at this point of immense frustration about it, but luckily I have a really great team of people who are, you know, happy to bartend. Uh, so that I don't have to continue to injure my wrist. So right. kind of where I'm at. It's a, Power. It's a repeat industry, in, in, injury? Industry injury. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's overuse. It's like yeah. the most frustrating diagnosis in the world. I'm like, I would like something more like definite or, you know, right. can like, I don't know. Like, can I, can you name it something else? Like, you know, people are always like, oh, is it like carpal tunnel? And I'm like, no. And they're like, tendinitis. I'm like, I have tendinitis, but it's overuse. But yeah, that's quite simply. So, um, how are you? Uh, I'm okay. I'm all right. Um, I, I think like, I'm really trying hard not to coming out of this pandemic. One of the things I've been trying to do is not tell people, not be like, I'm good, you know? Yeah. Um, when I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, I'm not bad. Um, I read this article that the other day uh, by, do you know who Adam Grant is? You familiar with that name? Um, I don't think so. He's a, so Adam Grant's a social psychologist. Um, he does like organizational theory. He wrote a, a really, I, I'm a huge fan. Um, he wrote this article for the New York Times that like did this really good job of defining what I'm feeling. And he talked about this, that we think of mental health. A lot of people think of mental health, especially in America as like, as this binary of like being either, you're either flourishing or depressed. Like there's depression and there's flourishing. Um, and there's this middle ground that he was talking about that he just, he defined as languishing. And oh, I remember this article that came out. Yeah. yeah. Um, some of my, um, my really good friends shared it in our group thread. I'm a, I'm a big fan. And that's, I, I relate to that right now. I think I'm coming at it a few weeks after a lot of other people are, but um, I think one of the things he said was it, it, it's an absence of well-being. I'm not bad. I'm not, but I'm, there's just like an absence of, of how I feel. Um, yeah. And that's like, that's okay. Um, you know, it's yeah. okay to be in that space, uh, but it has been, it's been tough. I think that's a tough space for hospitality professionals specifically to be in because there's like so much pressure to be the life of the party and to like, you know, you have to host everybody all the time. And I think that we often like take on that persona like in our personal lives too like we can't we, like, we're always playing the part of like the host regardless of like if we're behind the bar or if we're like running into somebody at the supermarket and so like there's this pressure that like because we work in hospitality and like throw parties every day um god I just moved my chair and I'm sure that all the podcast listeners are going to hear that whoop um, <laughs> um you know there because there's this pressure to like be the life of the party then we can't ever just be like I'm just okay I feel that yeah. a lot because like I try to come to work every day and like be loud and like full of energy so like I mean if anybody that works with me especially the kitchen guys are listening to this podcast I'm sure they're not but if they ever do <laughs> they're gonna laugh because like I literally walk into the kitchen and I'm like hello like how <laughs> is everyone like because like I you know like just want to like be awake and like be happy to be there and get everybody yeah. else like stoked to be there too but like therefore when I don't do that when I come to work like you know it's pretty obvious to like everyone that like maybe I'm stressed out or like having a bad day and so like 
yeah, there can kind of be that pressure to like always be the life of the party and like be perfect or. Yeah. I mean, I, I I've always contextualized it in um, the way that I could relate to it is from basically I used to do community theater when I was a kid and I used to like act and I've always talked about me behind the bar is, is, is this the stage presence and, and I like don't I don't come about it disingenuous I don't think anybody in our industry does that's like really good at what they do um, but it is me turned up to like 20 you know yeah like, yeah uh, I am I am a happy guy I am generally um, optimistic but like you said busting through the doors and being like hey how is everybody is like a that's an extreme version of me that I can only keep up for, you know, a little bit of, or a, a, you know, a little bit of time in front of everyone before it's just yeah. exhausting. And that's become doubly so through after the pandemic, like post pandemic, I think that's one of the reasons I'm out. I, I don't know. Have we talked? I'm out in Oregon right now. I don't know if yeah. you knew that. Yeah. Um, farming doing great yeah exactly so that's doing that the grape one. thing doing the grape thing it's actually it's apples right now which is oh, even cool. more exciting for me yeah um but any kind of farming i there's i mean there's a lot to me wanting to be connected more with the earth and and there's like some hippie properties here of like i want to be connected with what we eat and drink but um a lot of it i would be lying if i didn't say a lot of it was just to disconnect from what i'm doing um every day in Philadelphia and like the persona that I have to put on in public or not have to but like want to put on in public um as a professional I want um, you to know that my heart just literally like jumped across the country and joined you in Oregon like literally, <laughs> I feel like I just left my body like there's just something so magical about like being able to just go be in nature and like just it's not like running away from the problems of the world, but rather it's like reconnecting to like the beauty of the things that can't be destroyed by what we've just gone through. Right. Like it's like, yeah. When life feels like a bit too much, like just to go like harvest some apples and make some cider. And yeah, it's been, it, it's, it's so, it's a different kind of pressure. Um, wine making and cider making and farming are all a different kind of pressure it's I feel like what we do behind the bar and what we do every day is is very like time frame oriented you know you have the time frame from 5 p.m to 2 a.m that's your service you have to get everything make as many people as happy as possible in that time frame I have a prep shift from 2 p.m to 5 p.m and I have to get everything done in this prep shift time whereas out here the to-do list is is endless you know Dan and Kim just every every day they're like these are the things that we have to do this week um yeah. and that it it never ends it just gets longer and longer but it's kind of you're on <laughs> this is gonna make me sound really hippie-ish but uh you're on the earth's time you know like you have to do those things in the context of whatever the plants and whatever the the fruit needs so you know, the time frame is stretched out. So it feels a little less intense, but it's just as much goal oriented and time frame based as, as what we do back behind the bar, which I, I like. I like that balance of yeah. getting to, to do it kind of when I want or the only time frame that is that is put on me is from like the plants themselves. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Um. I wish I was there with you. I think that sounds yeah. amazing. I'm like, sometimes I wake up and I'm just like, maybe I like run away from it all and just like buy some goats oh and gosh. like <laughs> grow tomatoes. <laughs> I was, I was telling anybody that knows me really, really well, all my good friends know that if one day um, I just disappear and, and no one knows where I am just to look um, in the Baja Peninsula somewhere. And that's, <laughs> that's where I'll be is, is, <laughs> helping some great farmer in the Baja Peninsula because uh, that's that's the dream um, yeah yeah it's it's been really it's been really great out here I coming out I mean I live in a one-room shack without power uh, it's and there's like there's the dreamy part about it which is you know I live in a one-room cabin on a farm uh, that overlooks the mountains and it's really beautiful and then there's also like um 
I like have to go to the bathroom in like a porter potty and like <laughs> I right. don't uh you know I make my coffee on a camp stove so right there's uh, a, yeah it's like important to dismantle the like you know <clears throat> immediate gratification of just like the image without the like reality behind it you know it's like yeah. Yeah, this could this could completely be an Instagram dream, right? Right, really, really from one angle. Yeah, and then like behind you is the porta potty. Like. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but but it, yeah, in reality, uh, it is. I mean, it is farm work, you know, which is like some of the hardest work in the country. Um, and I'm lucky enough to to be connected with Dan and Kim and some other farmers out here that I can do it as like a work stay, um, but. I mean, Kim, Kim works about as hard as anyone that I've ever met, um, up with the sun at seven, um, works until the sun goes down at nine. And that's, that's not unusual out here. And that's just who I've met, but that's, that's just everyone kind of is, that lives out here is like, that's what it's like to live on a farm. You know, you, yeah, you live and die by, or you like live and work by the sun and yeah, which is great. We're kind of bordering on a topic that we didn't actually discuss like prior to this podcast recording, but that I guess this conversation is just reminding me of something that's been on my mind a lot. And now that I'm thinking about it, like you're a really good example of somebody who like lives by, um, like, like lives and works by their heart, I guess is like the best way to say it. But like, so, so like for background, something that's been on my mind a lot is like, well, what what do I want my life to look like? And like, how do I achieve that? And really quite honestly, like until this last year and a half, I never had like genuinely asked myself that question. And like the more importantly, I'd never asked myself the question of like, what do I deserve to have in my life? Not like, how do I mold my life around my job? Right. So like, you're a really good example of a person who like knows what they want out of life and isn't afraid to just like have what they deserve to have like and I think that this is something super unique to our industry is that like there's this like weird ingrained thing in us where it's like we can't we don't deserve to have like the best life because like we live a life of servitude and so like for a very long time like I've really struggled with this like idea of like oh it's okay to want like these specific things that like in my personal life that like make me really happy because like I have to sacrifice those the, for like the greater good of like the restaurant or whatever. Right. right. Um, and like, I feel like every time I talk to you, you're like thinking so much more about like what will bring you personal happiness and joy and less like what will like make be better for x y or z business or restaurant and not just and this is definitely not to say that you should just like say fuck you to like whatever <laughs> company you work for and right. like you know head off to wherever but like there's a balance right of like you don't just like yeah. live a life of servitude to the restaurant because sure. yeah and i i mean i think there's there's so there's so much to that right like our relationship with our industry and the work-life balance and, and, you know, how we define that for ourselves. I'm really lucky. I'm so lucky in like so many ways and like so privileged in like every way that exists um, that I get to say things like, Hey, I'm going to go to Oregon for a month. And I know someone that lives out there. Um, but all of this is, I think, where I'm really lucky is is that this is tangential to the industry and and makes me happy in my exploration of knowledge and experience um, and I think that we discredit that a lot I think that we in our industry think a lot and define a lot about our knowledge base as experience within the context and the and the walls of the restaurant and if yeah. you talk to a lot of people I mean and you do on this podcast, talk to a lot of people that are really, really successful. Um, most of their stories and most of their experience they talk about is outside the context of the four walls, right? Um, I was like just quoting or just thinking about guests you've had on the show, like Dave Kaplan like doesn't stop talking about business books he reads. Mm -hmm. And Steph talked about 
her trips to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, so what I've gained, what I've garnered from like just ob- observing what people are doing is that the most valuable experiences that we can gain, it may be tangential to the industry, which I think that a lot of my trips are, but they're outside the four walls of the restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so coming out here, I, I think that, that, I mean, this leads into one of my core beliefs, which is to, to like truly help and, and um, advocate for people that you have to like at least understand from like a limited, at least a limited base where they're coming from, from an experience standpoint, um, which is why I've, I've like prioritized talking to farmers and, and staying out here. Um, so this is like really, really fun for me from a personal standpoint, it's really refreshing, but also as a part of my profession, I want to advocate for um, terroir driven spirits and where <clears throat> when you buy like where does your money go and does it go all the way back to the farmer and we are are we paying American farmers enough and are the spirits and are the beverages across the board and is the food that we're consuming good for the earth are we farming it appropriately um, that's one of the scariest things for me this is everything is everything intersects here and I'm getting off on a tangent but basically like um, we're part of our, every like decision we make in the restaurant as buyers is, should be geared towards this idea of like smarter and more thoughtful consumption yeah. of everything we do. You know, um, we're <laughs> talking to Dan out here. This could be my, you know, being out in Oregon with a farmer for five weeks, but like we're losing like something like 40 five billion dollars in topsoil loss every year globally and um that's like a third we've destroyed like a third of the world's topsoil since the industrial revolution and that's hard to get back um for people listening that don't understand what that means can you like do the simple breakdown of like what it means to have like the loss of topsoil and like what the result of that is yeah totally so so the topsoil is is your your basic nutrients that um, you use to grow anything in the world, all, all the world's food, all the world's be- beverage, everything you drink, um, mm-hmm. everything we consume from a food standpoint comes from the nutrients in the topsoil. So when you talk about topsoil loss, we're talking about um, uh, desertification or like compaction, which is like um, basically you over farm or you desertification can happen through like drought um, or like climate change uh, but it can also have happen through like monocropping um, so basically when, you, when you're monocropping or you're growing the exact same thing over and over, and over yeah. that's not not perennial um, mm-hmm. it's absorbing the exact same kind of nutrients and what that does is it it, it basically takes that topsoil and makes it, it it compacts it or makes it so that you can't grow anything in it um, and then I mean, the, that's like the very microcosm of this. Um, that's why we talk about like biodynamics or biological farming is this all-encompassing way of farming where mm-hmm. um, you, you um, focus on regenerative, um, regenerating the nutrients in, within the soil um, over time so that you don't destroy the the health of the uh, the topsoil um yeah. and industrial farming does the opposite you're basically adding whatever nutrients through chemical means to the plants and everything else dies so all you have hazelnuts in oregon is a really great example of this if you if you drive through um oregon or california or most farmlands if you look at the area the strips underneath the trees or the vines if there's nothing growing if it's just dirt they're either um, they're either spraying glyphosate, which is basically Roundup, um, to mm. kill all of those weeds, or mm. they're tilling the soil, which also um, destroys all of the. It doesn't destroy the nutrients, but like it tears up all of the like grass and other plants. So basically, when you you like take a hazelnut tree, and the only thing that's growing there is the hazelnut tree. Eventually, it runs out of nutrients. So, in industrial farming, they take chemicals and they just apply whatever chemicals need needed for the hazelnut tree. But that 
all of that nutrients is then gone. So once you pull up the hazelnut trees and you want to grow something else in 20 years, you're not going to be able to because the nutrients aren't going to be there. Um, So when, sorry, this is like, it's got on a big tangent about agriculture and farming, but it is, it is like pretty indicative of like my holistic view of what we're doing in the beverage industry and Mm -hmm. where I think like professionally I've kind of positioned myself is that we need to start thinking about these things and talking about these things, not only to each other, but with the consumer about how important it is to be thoughtful in our buying practices. Uh, Because we're, this is, this is the the future, you know, like, (laughs) um, this is really, really important for all of us. Yeah. Um, It's such an interesting topic because like we've gotten into this, our society as a whole has like gotten ourselves in this place where it's like, you can have everything and anything that you want. And so it's like, how do you stop carrying Tito's? Right. Right. Like, how do you stop carrying these massive brands that are the cheapest and make your business the most money? Because this actually perfectly moves into the second topic we were going to talk about, which is the cost of product and the cost of operating your business. So like, you know, it's like people are trying to make the most money possible out of the cheapest product because it's so fucking expensive to run restaurants and nobody wants to pay for it. Nobody, nobody wants to pay the right price to accurately, you know, compensate restaurant employees. And so like we've, you know, we've gotten ourselves into this really like delightfully terrible (laughs) catch 22, (laughs) where we're all, you know, like jockeying for the cheapest well spirits so that we can uh, have the best cost margins, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think once again, this is an intersection of like a thousand different subjects, right? Um, That, and I do want to, I want to head this off by saying that I am, I think a lot of people that know me through the profession, um, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of independent spirits, like small production spirits. And I think a lot of people in the industry are like, Brandon's anti-big brand. And that's not necessarily true. I'm not. Um, I'm very like, keep keep brands accountable. And I think it's easier to have a relationship and keep small brands accountable for what they're buying um, mm-hmm. and how they're producing their products than it is big brands. Totally. Um, so yeah, I want to head that, that off that I am like a, an enormous proponent of independent spirits for that reason. And I'm not, I think that like, brands do a really big brands have a, a huge role in our industry obviously and and they can have a positive role I just when I talk about like wanting following your money from um from the consumer to the farmer um that farms the crops to make our beverage or the food that we're consuming um that's what I'm talking about when, when like buying is a political choice you you get to choose I've said this a lot lately and it, it may be um, relatively radical, I'm not sure, but like basically we are responsible for um, directing where money goes um, as professionals right now. Because for the first time in a very, very long time, over the last like 10 years, uh, for the first time in like almost a century, guests pretty much trust us across the board. If you're like, hey, I want Tito's and I, as a bartender, say, you know, I don't have Tito's, but I have another coin vodka that's really great and I can stand behind it. Um, they're generally not like really mad. They're like, oh, okay, I'll try that. And if it's a good product, then like they're turned on by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have that, we have that power now as buyers and bartenders. And I think we should, we should be like using that. Um, but to answer your original question or to like go back to this original point about the real cost of food, um, I think there's a lot of work being done to talk about this more and more, especially as the pandemic has grown and as the, the labor crisis has started, which has been great, like the, not the labor crisis specifically, but that we're talking about this. Um, but I've separated this into, into these like categories of um, where the cost of food is unfairly low, you know, what mm. we, we mentioned like fair wages, wage equality, mental health impact. Um, these are all 
basically instead of raising the price of food to help cover the costs of these the, the employees are like paying that cost from economic terms someone pays the price of everything right gentrification is a really great example of this when you build a restaurant in an underdeveloped neighborhood um, then you're basically cutting your rent as an owner but like that money just doesn't disappear where where who's paying for that and the people that are paying for that are the people that live in that neighborhood usually um underrepresented uh usually people of color you know and and like they're paying that price not the consumer instead of raising the prices for the consumer um that's in true that's true for environmental impact which we talked about um like not buying organic buying industrial products for food um or as you mentioned buying like more mass-produced uh, spirit products so that you're not your well costs stay low. Um, and then the profits for owners um, also haven't increased. They've decreased. I don't know what the statistics are, but in the last like 30 years, you got to think that like profit margin for the amount of risk that it takes to start a restaurant has de decreased in an insane amount, an unfair amount. Yeah. And the only thing that and like the consumer doesn't understand this, the guest, the customer, like whatever you want to say. So it's not that like, and this is like a long-term problem. This isn't something that we're going to fix in the next four to 10 years. This is something we're going to fix in the next like decades yeah. um, of educating each other. And then the consumer of like, this is, these are real costs that people are paying and it's unfair that they're paying them or the, the employees paying them or the neighborhoods paying them and not you. Um, you know, we can't suddenly start charging $25 for a burger, even if that is, if we're going to use, you know, farm, farm raised mm -hmm. meat and all of these things, that's how much it would cost. Um, yeah. but I do think that a lot of people are working simultaneously at all of these things. Um, I mean, you can name like that people, a lot of people, Ashton Berry on intersectionality and like awareness, um, you know, like uh, Dave and Dave Kaplan and Alex and Devin on like creating talking about like the business model and systems to to increase profits for owners um Amy Ward has done a lot for like health uh Laura yeah. Green in psych like the psychological and organizational psychology um Nick Torres and Claire Sprouse are talking about um how things are farmed and that all comes from like Thad Bogler um and like terror spirits. And so there are people doing a lot of this work already. Um, the next step I think for us, and, and I don't have like a defined solution for this, but the next step for us is, is talking to the consumer and being able to convey all of this information to the consumer in a way that's not one, not threatening and two, not overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you almost want to have like, like the, it's like that's like topics that the welcome conference should be focusing on yeah sorry i'm about yes. to sneeze no, oh gone. my god it's <laughs> going away or not okay all right I think um yeah it's like we need like ted we need like ted talks on this that people will listen to you know yeah. like yeah it's yeah, sometimes very that... overwhelming to think about like how to change such like a massive like systemic issue oh my gosh that like everything about this is overwhelming i get over i have like a, a relatively good macro grasp on like the economics of the situation and what it means when people are like well that's not possible that's not how things you know you can't just raise the prices i'm like no you can't just raise the prices but i understand as an economist you know what this means and and um that that like line of thought and that conversation this conversation is yeah it's overwhelming and it's it's a lot but that's why I, I like to highlight that this isn't something that has to change right now i mean i'd love for it to change right now but this is a problem that we're working on and a lot of people are working on that's what i have to remind myself is that also a common problem in our industry is like you're not the only one right like there are other people like you um, I loved your, I love the podcast with John DeBerry because like, yeah. um, fairness in the industry and like fair wages, wage equality, you know, are things that 
I feel like a few of us in, in Philadelphia and PA are like, feel like we're in this vacuum. Um, and then to hear John talk about it, I was like, oh yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, I'm not alone. I'm the only one working on this. Um, fair wages are something I think about a lot because like the thing that scares me the most is like, like the transition from going from tipped wages to like salary wages is one that is going to be very difficult and like how you'll lose a lot of people it's like inevitably like you the the transition from tipped wages to salaried wages will mean that a lot of people may earn less money yes and what is like a fair salary to make as a server and you know how do you convince people that in the long term like making less money is better for them you know like yeah especially when the making less money means that other people get to make more when mm -hmm. they've been making significantly less you know like if the server if your server is making a hundred thousand dollars a year but your line cook is making 42 like that's but then once again it's like how do you convince the server that they should only make 60. Right. That they, so that the they line cook don't, right. Where they like the the framing for them is like you don't deserve a hundred thousand dollars. And if it's up to me and you, like yes, Alex you, do, yeah. like, you do. <laughs> we you all do deserve a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, yeah. So like how do you how do you reconcile that? How do you make that happen? Like yeah. I, that's a conversation we've had a lot. So I'm in the middle of an opening this fall, a place called Middle Child Clubhouse, which is the second restaurant from a guy named Matt Kahn. He owns Middle Child in Philadelphia, which is a, a sandwich shop that's very, very good and very popular. Um, so we're doing a full service restaurant. And that's a conversation we're having every single day, as I'm sure a lot of people across the country are having of what does this mean? How, how do we frame it? And and what does it mean for everyone? And my, once again, this is, I'll try not to talk in generalities, but it's kind of how I, I think is I'll start macro and then uh, move down. But what this means generally is um, there's, there's less jobs uh, because there's a finite amount of money that's coming mm. in. You're not gonna, yeah. people aren't gonna suddenly, from a macro standpoint, people suddenly aren't gonna like spend significantly more on food and beverage. Um, so if we increase prices, they're going to come out less and, right. and that's, that's okay, but we have to understand that that's the reality of it. Right. Of, and it's only okay to like a certain point, right? You know, there's only yes. so far in that limit that you can go. There's only For so sure. many customers you can lose before you just go out of business. So, right. um, and like we, so Matt is really great about humoring me on this conversation of, of efficiencies and creating, um, efficiencies within our systems that less people can do the same job and yes like build you know, a better restaurant yes exactly. where your pos is going to be how far away is the kitchen door where's oh, the service well like where's the dishwasher um yeah. how yeah how can you operate a space with less people yeah better? and oh man i and it sounds so cold when i and it maybe it is cold alex i don't know but like a lot of these places just aren't going to, they're not going to succeed in the new, like the, the new way of doing things. And I, that sucks for a lot of owners. That means a lot of owners are going to lose their dream. And like, I'm not trying to, to dehumanize that aspect of it, but that once again, there, there are business economic realities here. And that's one of them. If you can't create better efficiencies within your business, you can't raise your prices to an insane, you can't, yeah charge $25 for the burrito yet um, but you want to be fair to everyone then you have to learn a new way of doing things and and be honestly just be better at what you're doing um, yeah and that's where like I think a lot of us in leadership roles come in of like teaching people what are the efficiencies and how can we do this yeah I'm a big advocate for smaller restaurants and smaller bars totally which is ironic coming from a person that works in like an absolutely insanely large lobby bar, but yeah. Yeah. And yeah I'm like, you know, I'm like putting together like, a hundred seat restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're um, like, we should do smaller. Yeah, we places. should be smaller. <laughs> um, 
But circling back to this like discussion of like how do you pay like how do you pay people appropriately? Like it just kind of pinged my thoughts on like I don't know if you follow Chani Nicholas, the astrologer. Um, she's mm-hmm. awesome. She sends yeah. like really incredible horoscopes, and she, she has a couple of books and whatever. So um, I'm I obviously get her newsletter, um, and <laughs> um, <laughs> she just sent out an email this morning saying that her company is hiring. And they're hiring for like five positions, everything from chief of um, chief of staff to like like app designer to like astrology writer and whatever. So I was like, all right, I'm kind of curious. Like, what are these jobs? Like, I want to read about it. And they had, um, I'm going to pull up the email. Um, They had all of these benefits that was absolutely awesome and it's like I think that people just like don't think outside of the box with a lot of this and and I would like to just like say as well that I recognize that some of this shit is very difficult to accomplish when you need a certain number of bodies to operate a space every night like it's just not the same as like a desk job where like you could take your computer to Tulum. <laughs> like, you know, right. you can't, you can't surf on the floor while you're in Tulum. Like, <laughs> so it's like a, a little different, <clears throat> but um, these are some of their benefits that come with working for them. Fully covered health, denter, dental, and vision insurance, a 401k with a 5% match. This one really got me unlimited vacation with approval yeah. plus yeah. vacation stipend. Whoa. gender-based violence paid and protected leave gosh that's awesome unlimited menstrual leave for people with uteruses annual tech stipend a personal and professional growth stipend and a stipend to help build your wealth oh my gosh I love all of that now <laughs> once again there are things that restaurants just can't provide like as a server saying you get unlimited vacations a little tough right right as a small business restaurant or bar having a stipend for people to take vacation is a little tough but that being said I've never in my life heard of anybody getting paid leave from like domestic violence yeah or menstrual leave or menstrual leave I mean yeah that <laughs> that you're right in that like so these are these are things that like uh, we don't talk about although everyone can relate to not mm-hmm. or not even if you can't directly relate like at least you can understand and empathize with them yeah um that these are these are things that are needed and and are have strong really really strong far-reaching implications for mental health and wage equality yeah um and maybe it's not as simple and i not maybe i know it is not as simple as this but that being said i think that there needs to be a conversation with the guest at large about running your business short staffed <laughs> like yeah. you know i don't know like i don't know what the, i do not know what the solution to this is but like i just feel like there's such a disconnect in the understanding of the guest and the understanding of the operation that it can like, once again, we've gotten ourselves in this place in hospitality where we feel like we have to be on and the party has to be perfect every day. And that there can't, there can no longer be this like honest conversation of like, we have somebody out sick right? and we're down a person and we don't work in an industry where you can just call in a temp to like right. answer the phones or whatever. Um, I don't know like how that could be like a thing that could be resolved really, but like I would like there to be more empathy on every side of this industry. And when it, when we're talking specifically about the guest side, I would like there to be more empathy with understanding how a business like a restaurant operates when it's short staffed. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan and advocate of, of consumer education. I 
think so much of what we have done historically in our industry is the is the curtain, right? Like, don't look at the the guy pulling the levers behind the curtain. Um, but and we we framed it that way. We did that. Like, this is yeah. not this is not the consumer's fault. Like, we fucked that up for ourselves. Um, we said like, don't look at what's going on behind. Everything will be perfect for you. Uh, we put these on demand on own demands on ourselves, um, and now we have to break down that that fourth wall, and we have to break down everything that we we're doing behind and say, oh, actually, we want you now. And I, I'm understanding as much as like my demands and like what I see the future of the industry being seems like really radical. I understand that that takes time to to break down the comfort of that fourth wall for people. Yeah. Um, I think that like so. Um, like raising the minimum wage and, and abolishing the tip credit um, is a huge first step because all of these problems are a collective action problem um, yeah. in the like in economic terms where um, for like anyone that's not familiar with the term collective action it's where everything has to if one player doesn't do it then it creates a situation where the market basically doesn't do it also because everyone will just will just charge whatever the lowest price is or whatever. Um, or in this case, they'll pay whatever the lowest amount they, they can is. So the collective action problem is everyone has to do it at once. Um, environmental exactly. impact is, is a collective action problem. Yeah. Um, there's not enough singular effect on one business for it to matter. We all have to do it together. Yeah. So for wages, that, that starts, that begins with uh, raising the minimum wage and abolishing the tip credit. And when yeah. you talk about like, you have to, you have to pigeonhole like all of the restaurants into like, you have to force them like to yeah. do it because like, once again, it's like, you can't take a chance on your restaurant being the only one that's like paying people more. And then you you cost too much and then nobody will come. Right. They, they've done it and it didn't, it didn't work. Right. You know, it's been like Danny Meyer, please. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, so when you talk about raising the minimum wage, like they did in California and they have in Portland to $15 an hour, what that's created when we talk about efficiencies is like, it's also created this really interesting dynamic of culture where, um, as a guest, when you go out to eat or you go for a drink, you just assume that there's nobody coming to your table to wait on you. You go up to the bar, if there's food, you grab a number. And that's like, even at, even at casual upscale places, that's acceptable service because that's created an efficiency and that's what everyone is doing. And if you want fine dining or you want like table service at all, then you just, ex you just expect to pay more. Yeah. As a consumer. And so like it's created consumer education through collective action, which yeah. I think is the big answer here uh, in the short term, at least if not yeah. long-term we're, we're all working towards a bigger collective action problem. But. This is like a little bit of a dark comedy story about pulling back the curtain for guests. But yeah. I know it's very appropriate to yeah, share let's this hear. time. I love that. Like two weeks ago, I was having a really, really bad day. Um, my wrist is fucked up. I was on my like, you know, I just was like, my third week of just like more hours than are okay that many weeks in a row. Right. Um, and I just kind of was like at my breaking point and the wrist issue was like the icing on the cake. And I just kind of got into this headspace of like, what am I going to do? And I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was bartending in service well. Um, and <laughs> I couldn't stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh no Alex. I'm like I would like get it together I'm like bartending and crying yeah. and, <laughs> and I would get it together and then like Maggie my you know really good friend I've worked with for like five years um who works at, at Death & Co now you know she's like are you okay and I start crying all over again like oh, I can't no. hold it together like I'm just like crying and making cocktails and then like <laughs> <laughs> these people were sitting at a table these guests are sitting at a table oh and they come up to the service wall and they're like we're gonna take a picture in front of the service wall and it was like they were so nice they were like, so excited to be at death and co and i'm yeah. just like crying it's <laughs> 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 like crying and making cocktails and I'm like, sure 
<laughs> but it was like this kind of like dark comedy moment of like, yeah, like a peek back into like, you know, operations. I'm just like <laughs> making all of these daiquiris and crying and they're like taking a picture <laughs> from service. Well, I mean, it obviously wasn't as dramatic as like this story sounds, but it's just like, you know, silent tears rolling down my face. But, like, <laughs> in, 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 in my head, it looks like the... <laughs> the little kid at Disney World where everyone else is happy and the little kid's just like crying (laughs) it's like I just was like I can't even like can't even like keep this going for (laughs) I mean that's that's so that's so dead on though like I Bad Hunter was like one of I keep mentioning it because it was one of us it was like a very very healthy work (laughs) It was problematic in ways that like obviously we didn't realize where i think that you know that's across the board for everyone um we're realizing a lot of things that were problematic but it was also healthy in a lot of ways and one of the ways that was like pretty healthy is like um like feel like feel your feels you know um Mm. if you like need to step out and go cry in the upstairs like go cry for a little bit go have a cry go (laughs) um and like I think it, that's the most defining story of our industry I've ever heard, you know, like, <laughs> can, can we take a picture? Like, I know I've seen you crying over here, but like, we just, we're here for just a couple of hours. So I'd really like a picture. <laughs> I, uh, but, you know, like, that's the whole point of me having this podcast is like, I need everybody listening to know that like, we've all been there, you know, like, and we're going through it together and like shit sucks sometimes and shit's hard, but we're all in it together. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Truly. I, I think that like, that's probably one of the more relatable stories ever on this podcast is like everyone, (laughs) everyone out there is like, oh yeah, I get that. one of our our server jack was like are you okay and i was like no (laughs) (laughs) well that's like so (laughs) that's the the service well like i i don't know how much like switching off you can do at death and co um but like at places that i've been where people are like what what position do you want today do you want like do you want which well do you want do you want forward facing well do you want to interact with guests a lot um and you could like people would be like I'm having a really bad mental health day can I just do service well can I just like yeah out this is uh I know we're probably running short on time but like I think this is a really interesting segue to like back to where we started with languishing um Adam Grant is a really big fan of another Hungarian psychologist that I'm also a big fan of I'm gonna try to pronounce his name for any Hungarian listeners I'm sorry I'm gonna butcher it it's like Csikszentmihalyi. Um, he, uh, anyway, he's brilliant. He wrote a book called Flow. Um, if you've ever con- heard of the concept of flow um, in psychological terms, he like came up with this idea of the flow state, which is like you basically absorb, um, you absorb something in a way that like time and place and your sense of self, like kind of self, kind of melt away, um, and it, and you create like happiness through a flow state and you can you can create a flow state a number of different ways you can do it like with watching netflix if you're really really absorbed in something that's like a way of creating flow state um and it's it's a way to like reset mentally and to create um a sense of like flourishing when you're languishing or you're depressed um it's why like people watch the office a million times you know is is it creates a flow state and and they feel like they're flourishing when they're really depressed um so i find this in like mowing um uh one second i have a package i've missed it every time okay go 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 (laughs) looking to reclaim some of the restorative time that you lost during the last few months be sure to check out the pre-shift meditation series brought to you by Beam Suntory's Bourbon Time. It takes place in the last Monday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern, now through September. For more information, please visit fohealth.org. Okay. 
You got it? I got it. That's <laughs> alcohol, so they won't leave it. Oh, you have to sign for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So, and uh, so I, I find it in like this, this flow state in, um, in mowing or um, a lot of times when I'm reading, um, if, I, if I can really focus in and not think about anything else. Um, and I also feel it when I'm serving and like bartending and front face, like guest facing bartending. So if I'm like languishing or like starting to feel depressed, I have the opposite reaction as a lot of people. And I like want to be front, like guest facing because it gives me this sense of flow and like yeah. I find myself. Whereas a lot of people want to be in the service well. And if you're ever like, oh, I want to, I want to be in the service well so I don't interact with people. A lot of that is also this like psychological like sub thing of feeling better because you get in a flow and a rhythm when you're in service well where you just like time passes by um because you're in this flow state oh totally I'm glad you said that because I was thinking like you know it's like going to the gym or something like you're like yeah. I don't want to talk to people I just want to be in service well but like if you force yourself to go talk to people it would probably like be in a better mood by the end of it yeah, yeah like, for sure yeah um, it just, it, I think it depends on who you are and how you react to people. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. If you can't stop crying, you probably shouldn't be on the main bar. <laughs> <laughs> you might, you might feel better, but they're going to feel real weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, for fuck's sake. <laughs> it's, it's so sad, but so funny. <laughs> it's like the most true me story ever. <laughs> um okay yes we are we're getting to the end I have to go see my hand doctor (laughs) um but uh before we go I want to wrap it up by um I guess I'd like to have you in with just like a piece of advice or sage wisdom when it comes to you know tackling this bigger picture burden of like fixing the world um because Mm. it can be like so overwhelming so any little piece of advice you have for like moving forward with that? Yeah. Um, oh man, big pressure. I think that that thoughtfulness and empathy are are paramount in in this endeavor, um, and completely getting rid of your pride in in that in that way. So, I think that would be what I would say is is get rid of your pride, um, and and be thoughtful in all of your actions and, and your habits. Um, I think that's what, that's what almost anyone, if you look at any of the movements going on right now, that's what people are asking for. And that's what we're asking for in like the environmental sector is just be thoughtful in what you're doing and saying and, and your actions. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for coming to hang out this morning. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. This has been great. Um, okay. I we, we covered this a little bit. I get so nervous about this kind of thing, but this was really nice because in the end, it was just like talking to a friend. It's really great. Yeah, it's always good to talk to a friend. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> to ensure that you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Focus on Health podcast on Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else that you get podcasts. Make sure to tune in every other Monday for new episodes and don't miss No Proof with Joshua Gandy every other Wednesday.